Blackstone, hypnosis and buy-ups of back catalogues from big-name artists. In the world of uber-successful artists and bands, a new phenomenon has started to arise in the form of buying up all of their back catalogues. In this article, we explain how and why this is the thing and what the advantages are for both parties and how this reflects on us lesser mortals playing in the game of the music industry. Is there any effect that trickles down? Is this the real-world version of NFTs with hard currency? Is this something we should be concerned about, being indie artists making our way up the ladder? Is there a goal that we, with good smarts and hard work, can ever hope to attain? In this short article, Music Authentic attempts to explain where this fits on our music business landscape and highlight the mindset of these seemingly out-of-reach Uber deals. Grab a tea or coffee and let's get into it. The latest deal, as you may have heard, was the buy-up of Justin Timberlake's back catalogues by the relatively new merger of Hypnosis that bought the label Death Row Records and Blackstone. What is going on here? Why would they spend big money on songs and music that was popular that has now been and gone? It's not only this latest artist, but a long list of other big names in this crazy, inherently unstable industry. The key word is music IP, or intellectual property. This means that whoever owns the masters to these songs controls all aspects of licensing, in a nutshell. So let's say that Music Authentic bought the masters to an artist's songs. We could then sell a license to use their music in films, exclusive deals with a defined term or non-exclusive for adverts and to publishing companies that would use the music for a huge fee in their film projects, maybe. So an initial investment would pay itself back in time. Yes, you know the film. Their main idea is that the long-term payout would easily cover the cost of the investment and in fact continue to do so way into the future, given that there is a legacy agreement where the rights would hold for at least 80 years after the death of the artist. See the Elvis catalogue for that. Basically, it's a deal where the artist or the label forfeits long-term future revenue for a big bundle of hard cash right here and now. It's a trade-off. Yes, the artist could hold on to the masters and license them and earn a steady but proportionally low income over time or sign over their masters for a lump sum. Timberlake's deal was reportedly worth over $100 million. Would his label make that money if they held on to the masters' rights? Yes, they would. But they struggle to find the massive profit they were once privileged to. In today's increasingly unstable music, where the old model has been forced to make way for a new, digitally and increasingly artist-biased, not labour-biased model, the profit margins from physical media, like CDs and vinyl, has all been but lost for good. And the streaming era has forced labels to reinvent themselves. The market landscape has changed dramatically and now 360 deals are commonly offered to recoup investment, i.e. the labelled advance. 
this is a desperate attempt by labels to keep their previous status quo, and it's not beneficial to the artist. In times gone by, labels made their money from mechanical royalties from sales of CDs, and touring was expensive, it still is, but good money for both, and sales of merch was the band's sole profit, and good too. Now, the 360 deal has invaded any and all sources of an artist's income. How else are they to recoup their investment? It gets worse. Once the artist has paid back the advance, the label then continues to reap the rewards of all income and presents a small percentage back to the artist, often inciting overinflated charges for everything from travel costs of their employees to fictitious services to horrendous charges for personnel that barely have anything to do directly with the daily operation of the artist. Often, sadly, the label takes massive advantage, leading to the artist owing the label money to the tune of many, many thousands. As you can see, this method of operation is hurting the label and the artist and the industry in an already dire situation. But there is a way out, and us mere mortal artists can do something about it. We could reach out to sync licensing libraries ourselves. There can be good money to be made, and it's where publishing can work for us with exclusive or non-exclusive deals. There is a catch, though. A whole subset of music writers write especially for sync, which tends to be a generic vanilla, like one song to please as many people as possible type of gig. You've heard that very forgettable, almost annoying advert music, the film trailer music that all sounds the same, etc, etc, etc. But the growing trend is to get placements for indie artists with original music, which is good news. This actually pays out well, but it is often harder to get the coveted sync deal. It is also common to be in the sync business for up to five years before anything happens at all. So it's no bed of roses. And so here we are, full circle. From the elite, the top few percentile that can command the best deals with certified music, i.e. the hits, the future film studios will pay very good money to play said music in support of the theme of the scene. We're talking big budget, multi-million deals. We can take the biz model that these huge companies employ and apply that to our own career, albeit in a much smaller ecosystem. Let's break it down some more. Your songs are classed as assets, like intellectual property, IP, where you have spent the time and money to develop, write and release, progressing the cultural genre you belong to. The demand for new music is still there and it's as strong as it ever was. It's also true that there are innumerable songs released daily due to the access to technology that has achieved a near post-scarcity status. This creates a huge imbalance in supply and demand. There's now a very low barrier to entry to release music and this is where the problem kind of exists. 
This model works very well financially for subscription streaming services, but does nothing for those with very strong, well-crafted songs. These are lost in a sea of music. Or are they? It is true that all levels of artists can now get a blue check mark on their preferred streaming platform, but this does not differentiate the all-in do-or-die artists from the hobbyists, the weekend warriors, or the I have an album bursting to get out once in a lifetime type of artist. All of these surely have their place, but the all-in bands and artists struggle to get heard. This is where the game or business of online presence can make or break a situation. Where the music business is vast, it does provide more opportunity than ever. We essentially have to have a few pieces in place to open these opportunities, like the best music you can make with a strong identity, an engaged and active online presence, and consistency. Thinking and doing outside of the box helps too. It's not a dire situation, but the game has changed. The lowdown is that demand for new music is as strong as ever. Imagine being stuck with Elvis or worse, Habba for the rest of our lives. You get it, right? Only a few are motivated enough to make it. Even less are prepared to fight through the noise to secure their place in this vast ecosystem. So you can see that in the rarefied air of those that align their skills with practicality, vision and unwavering attention to their career will actually rise to the top. Yes, it's one step at a time. And it's hard for good reason. Our best work and ideal life situation and success will not be handed to any of us on a plate. And it has nothing to do with chasing fame. After all, if people like the Timberlakes in our world can do it, so can we. They have already mapped out a path.